Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, January the 25th, 2022. It is currently 1043 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And, well, this is going to be one of those broadcasts that may be uncomfortable. You may not want people of a younger age to listen to this. We're going to have to have a very grown-up, blunt, adult discussion about things that, well, adults need to talk about. And, really, teenagers need to talk about. A lot of people need to talk about it because we're going to be dealing, and I'm just going to go ahead and just get this out of the way. We're going to be dealing, obviously, I mean, this is the Bible study exercise. You know what we've been studying all week. We're studying Genesis chapter 39, but we're specifically looking at the subject of temptation. So far, we've looked at the subject of temptation in regards to our interactions with other people, um, circumstances, being tempted to be bitter, you know, filled with anger, wrath, uh, the the desire for vengeance. We've kind of discussed that in relation to temptation. But today, we have to turn our attention to the subject of temptation as it relates to sex. We're going to have to talk about temptation as it relates to sex. So therefore, there's no way, like we can try to, we can try to, clean this up and make it as nice and and comfortable as possible, but I think we just have to have some uncomfortable conversations here. I, I just think we have to be frank. We have to be honest. We have to be blunt. No, we don't want to be, we don't want to do something just to be sensational. We don't want to do something just to be controversial. We don't want to do that. Like there's a balance here. Like some people, like we just like, they try to be so careful that you can't just be blunt and honest on the other side, some people want to be so sensational because if you throw it out there, ooh, that every, it gets it gets the controversy going and the buzz going and you get all of the downloads and you get all of the streams. I'm going to try to find that middle road, but obviously sometimes when you try to find that balance, you end up making everyone mad, okay? So, so I may make everyone mad in this, but we just need to have some very important grown-up conversations as it relates to the subject of temptation and to the area of sex. The Bible has much to say in regards to sexual sin. Many verses speak of sexual sin, and we are all aware of those verses. But yet, if you, I mean, I can just go from website to website right now looking at different things that's going on in churches, and you will find this scandal, this scandal, this scandal, this scandal, this scandal, and they all, and anytime it's scandalous, you know it's going to be related to sex, right? I mean, all kinds of other sins can happen in the church, and those are never really considered scandalous, but sexual sin, it is like, ooh, that 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 gets everyone talking and gossiping and slandering and accusing, and it just, it, we're, we're just... We respond to sexual sins far different than we respond to other sins. There's just no way to, I don't think there's any way to deny that. But we need to have some some important conversations in regards to this subject. Now, before I even open up the text, before I've got Genesis 39 right here next to me, but before I pick it up, before I read it, before I say anything, 
let's just let's just deal with something I think that's very, very, very important to understand, okay? Whenever we start talking about temptation in regards to sex, we have to have a, I think, a very important and a very correct understanding of a, I think we need to have a correct biblical understanding when it comes to sex and sexual temptation. I, I think we just need to, we just, I'm just going to, to establish this. And, and, and let me just remind everyone, okay? Let me just remind everyone, because I know I'm, I'm just talking like everyone listening. You've been a part of the Bible study exercises. You know how this works, and I don't have to explain anything. But just in case someone tunes into this episode, let me explain. The Bible study exercises are designed in a very specific way. It's not just the idea that, oh, here's someone who's just going to turn on a microphone and teach me what the Bible has to say. The goal here is to get you involved in the process, that you're not just a passive listener. So I do this by doing the Bible studies where sometimes I am doing a lot of teaching, but sometimes I like to just throw out ideas, throw out different perspectives to get you thinking, to get you involved in the discussion so that we can have a conversation. So I'm going to throw out a lot of different ideas here that that instead of just going, okay, here's my teaching on Genesis 39 as it relates to temptation and, and sex, I'm going to just do more discussing some different ideas, some different principles to get you thinking, to get the discussion going, because I think we need to correct a lot of misunderstanding and to correct a lot of things that I think a lot of people have been greatly hurt and damaged by. There has been a a very significant backlash to basically how the church handled the teaching on sex and sexual temptation in the 1990s and the early 2000s. There has been a significant backlash. People refer to that time period as, as the church pushing purity culture, purity culture. And a lot of people, as they grew up through that, they, they lived their teen years through that very much a push on purity culture. Many of those young people turned into adults and they say how they will, they've written articles. There's been so much discussion about how much that damaged their adulthood. It, it, it damaged their view on sex. It, it damaged their ability to, to, to have a pleasing, intimate relationship with their spouse, that it, it, it just really, really messed them up. And I know, and I think we have to be, I don't think the church went into it going, okay, how can we mess up an entire generation of young people? How can we, I don't think they went into it that way. But whenever you start talking about sexual temptation and sex, the church has a tendency sometimes to maybe not always handle that topic in a, a healthy way, right? Like, listen, it's one thing to say, you should not do it. Okay, that's, that's, that's great. But I think sometimes there are a lot of, let me, let me state it this way. Maybe this will help. As a pastor, I'll, 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 I'll state this from a pastoral perspective. When you stand behind the pulpit and you preach, you have, you, you are looking at that sermon and you're looking at the text and, and you in your mind, you are presenting it in a way that you think everyone's going to see it the same way. 
but it is amazing how people will hear words of a sermon and their perception of what was said will be radically different than what the preacher intended. The preacher intended it to be you know, this and people walk away. Well, that was, and you'll hear the people talking. You're like, wait a minute. That, did, are you talking about my sermon? I, I didn't say that. I, I didn't mean that. And, and sometimes they'll even say that you said things and you'll go back and go, no, look, listen to the recording. I did not actually say those words, but in their minds, that's what they heard. Like they heard things that were not even spoken. And I think a lot of people who grew up during purity culture, they heard things that maybe the church wasn't even saying. They perceived things that maybe the church wasn't even intending them to ever understand it that way. But for some reason, there was a disconnect. And I think the disconnect is, is because sometimes nobody wants to actually have conversations and discussions about this very uncomfortable subject. Now, look, I've got Genesis 39. I could just open it up and go, well, here, here's God's standard. Here's the temptation. And here's what Joseph did. Be a Joseph. And then just move on. I, I, I could, I could make it very simple, probably give you like a three point sermon and everyone would be happy and, but I, would it really benefit anyone? Like, I like these Bible study exercises is not just so that we can say, well, we studied Genesis 39. Let's pat ourselves on the back. Wow. We studied the Bible this week. What were other people doing? It's not, no, it's about really working through the issues that the text brings to the surface, struggling with these subjects. And I look, you would be, you would be living in a land of complete denial if you don't realize how, how much sexual sin occurs within the body of Christ. It happens everywhere within the youth group, within the, the adult Sunday school class. It's everywhere. Uh, it happens. It happens frequently. And, and it may happen in a, a public way. It may happen in a private way. No one knows. The, pro the problem is when it's happening in a private way, nobody can really speak up because if you speak up, it's almost like oh, it's, it's the end. Like that's the one sin you can't struggle with. You can't have any struggles in the, in, with sexual sin because that will be the end of you. So we're just going to have to talk about a lot of these things and try to correct it. So I'm just going to lay down some general principles here before we even get to, to Genesis 39. All right. Let, let's, I know this is so obvious. I know this, that, that for some of you, you're like, there's no point in even saying it, but we need to say it. Okay. Are you ready? The desire for sexual relationships, the desire for sexual intimacy is not sinful. To desire sexual intimacy is not sinful. It's a part of who we are as human beings. So many people who were raised within Christianity for some, now, and I'm not saying the church ever intended them to think this way, but they grow up almost thinking that sex is something bad. That desire for sex is something that they, they, they shouldn't have and they should be embarrassed about, about it. And they should, they should feel shame and you should, it's, it's the, shh, we don't talk about the S word, shh. And it's like, it, it's almost like some kind of shame, some kind of embarrassment. And it's like, no, you don't have to be embarrassed about the desire. It's literally built into you. It's, it's biological. It's there. It's, it's a part of who you are. Now, here's the thing. 
that desire may be good, but the Bible places restrictions on when you can fulfill that desire, how you can fulfill that desire, and it will condemn fulfilling it or engaging in that desire in ways that goes against the scripture. All right, but make sure you understand the desire itself is not wrong. The desire is not bad. Think of it this way. The Bible condemns gluttony. The desire for food is not bad. However, there appears to be a time and way that you can engage your, you you can fulfill that desire for food that crosses the line into sin. The thing is, nobody ever preaches on gluttony. Here's the thing. I want you to realize (laughs) gluttony is a desire for food, right? I mean, you have a desire for food, which is right. Gluttony is a fulfilling that desire for food in a way that is unbiblical. It is a sin. It is condemned in scripture, but nobody talks about gluttony. I mean, nobody's going to get church disciplined for being a glutton, right? No, 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 not at all, right? You could have a pastor standing behind the pulpit who's full-blown glutton, guilty of gluttony, and he'll be yelling and screaming about sexual sin. How dare you? It's wrong. It's ungodly. And you're like, uh, but you're a, you're a glutton. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to accuse him of gluttony. Nobody's going to condemn gluttony. Gluttony is, gluttony doesn't even reach the list of the top 9,000. It probably doesn't even make a list of the, of the top 9,000 sins that you should be concerned about. It, I don't even know if it shows up on any list. I mean, it may show up on some ancient list of some of some sins you have to be aware of, but gluttony has just be kind of been forgotten. But just I just want you to see the correlation. We have a desire for food. However, you could fulfill that desire in an unscriptural, unbiblical, ungodly way that is condemned by the Bible. Desire for sexual intimacy is not sinful. It is not wrong. It is it is perfectly okay. It's acceptable. You're, as you're young, as uh, if you have young people in your family, as they grow up, they shouldn't feel bad for that desire. It's almost like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't have that desire. No, 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 no. And it's like, and like parent, Christian parents lose their minds. It's like, no, they have to have that desire. It's built into them. So the desire isn't wrong. Let me state it again. The desire isn't wrong. The desire isn't wrong. Now, this now, now at this point, I'm not here to get into a discussion about the desire, same-sex attraction. I'm not here to get into that. Clearly, the Bible says that that action is sinful, right? If you have a desire for that, well, that's a desire you cannot engage in because the Bible says it is sinful. But I'm not here. I'm more dealing with heterosexual relationships and heterosexual sexual situations. That's what I'm primarily focused on because that's what we have in Genesis 39. We have a man and a woman, right? So that's what I'm primarily going to be focused on. But I just want you to just realize if if you find yourself with a desire for same-sex intimacy, same-sex attraction, let me just make it obvious that that desire, you may have the desire, but to fulfill that desire and engaging in relations with someone of the same sex would be sinful. Just like for a heterosexual who has a desire for sexual intimacy, if they fulfill that desire in a way which God has forbidden, 
before marriage or with someone other than their marriage partner. Uh, there's all, you know, we can go into all kinds of, of details. It would be sinful. Right? It's like that. It, it, if we if we understand it that way, it's very simple. You can have a de- you can have a desire for food. However, there's a way of engage if uh, satisfying that desire. That is a sin. You can have a desire for physical sexual intimacy. However, you can fulfill that desire in a way that is sinful. So we're not here to go after the desire. We're here to say, how do you control that desire? How do you handle that desire? And when can you fulfill that desire? That's the issue. It's not the desire itself. Sometimes it's like within the church, we have to pretend like, what, sex? We don't, we don't, we don't talk about sex. We don't, we don't discuss sex. We don't, we don't even, now in some churches, they decided that they were tired of all of that. And then they went almost overboard the other direction. And it was like, all we talk about is sex. And then they, they went almost in a sensational way to talking about it. There's got to be that balance. We can't be embarrassed of it. You shouldn't feel guilty of it, but you don't have to just constantly be obsessed with it. There's got to be a balance there. There has to be a balance, but the desire is not wrong. All right, is, is, I think is that I, I hope everyone understands that and I hope that that's clearly articulated because I think it's, it's I think sometimes that we've, the church has given people that feeling that it is wrong, all right? So, so that, I, I cannot stress that enough. The desire is not wrong. Number two, and this is very much connected. You have to understand that desire is a natural part of you. And the reason I want you to see this is because this is what makes this area of temptation so powerful, right? See, the desire is not wrong. And it's, 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 it's just literally, it's a natural part of you. You are going to desire it. So the temptation, it's not, see, sometimes people view the, the, the sexual temptation as something always external. You have to realize the battle for sexual temptation starts internally because it's a natural desire which makes it the, the one of the most difficult ones to fight against because it's not like, well, all I've got to do is stay away from that and stay away from that and stay away from that and it's good to go. No, the, the natural desire is inside of you. The desire is not bad, but because that natural desire is there, it's, it's a natural part of you. You're fighting against an actual desire that is built into you. It's a part of who you are. And the desire is not even wrong. So this just makes the source of temptation very dangerous because it's inside of you and it's supposed to be there. And in some ways, the the desire is not even sinful, but it can lead to fulfilling that desire or seeking to satisfy that desire in a sinful way. I just want you to see that sexual temptation is built into you in a sense. Because the desire is there. It's just, it's just, just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to go back to this idea, the, des- the natural desire for food. You get hungry. Your body says you're hungry. You have to eat, right? You have to, right? So with food, it's, it's, it's even stronger. Not only is it a natural desire, if you don't eat, you'll die, and if you don't eat, you feel the physical 
results of not eating, right? But, but you can take that, that desire for food and then fulfill it in an unnatural way, right? So in the same way with sex, it's very similar. It's a natural desire. You feel that desire. You may feel the, the, the uh, effects of not engaging in said action, it's built into you. So now when you're dealing with the t- when sexual temptation, you're dealing with something that the desire itself isn't even wrong and it's inside of you. It's right there. Well, that is massively problematic and struggling against it. And it can explain why there's so much struggle and so much failure even within the church. Now, I know the church likes to try to say, no, 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 no. We're, 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 we've got it all under control. We, we do a lot of keeping it. We, we do a lot of trying to cover up everything and not letting everyone see what's really going on. Now, I understand there's a time and place, right? You just can't come into church and go, hey, hey, uh, it's, it, I know it's time for Sunday school, but I'd like to, I'd like to tell everyone about all of my sexual struggles. I'm not saying that, that that that's what needs to happen, but there also needs to be a place that it can be discussed and talked about without everyone going, oh, you know, that's it. That's it. Uh, at six o'clock tonight behind the church, this person being branded and burned and, 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 and crucified for what they have done. There, there's got to be a balance there. We've got to be able to discuss these things and talk about these things because Genesis 39, we're confronted with it. So the desire isn't wrong, but but you have to understand it's a natural desire, which means that temptation, the source of the temptation is coming from that desire, which isn't bad, and it's right there, a part of you. That puts you at a very, can I say this? Puts you somewhat at a disadvantage. Now, in some ways, oh, and oh, let's let's add something to it. I, I want you to, okay, you got to realize how this works because this just really puts this temptation and, and somewhat of a similar category to others, but in a different one, and you'll see why. So it's a natural desire that's not wrong. So the desire is not wrong. So you don't have to feel bad for having the desire. It's a, it's a natural part of you, so it's inside of you, right? So the temptation is not external, it's inside. External things can awaken it, can feed it, can strengthen the desire, but the desire is inside of you. And then listen, so all of this is going on inside of you. The desire is there, it's good, so you don't have to condemn that. You're, it's, a, it's a natural desire, so it's a part of who you are. But listen, it resides inside of you. And guess what else resides inside of you? A sinful nature. A sinful nature. So now you have the desire, which is good, You have the desire, which is just a part of who you are. And then you have the sinful nature, which will then tell you, this is all going on internally. This, it doesn't require anything. It doesn't require Hollywood, doesn't require music videos, doesn't require anything else. It's all, this is all going on inside of you. Then your flesh, because it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, the human heart, it's going, and it will say, fulfill that desire the way you want. Don't let anyone restrict it. Don't let anyone say you can't. It's all going on inside of you. That makes it one of the most powerful forms of temptation. Just like I would go back to gluttony. The the desire for food is not wrong. 
It's a desire that's built into who you are. It's, it's, it's a part of your nature. It, you have to have food, right? Now, now you could argue you don't have to have sex, but I'm saying it's still a natural part of you. However, now you have a sinful heart. You have a sinful flesh, and it will say, fulfill that desire for food in an ungodly way. So you end up engaging in gluttony. Now, you go to sex. The desire isn't wrong. It's a natural part of you. It's a natural part of you that, that needs it, that craves it. Okay, there's no way to get around that. Okay, and then your flesh will say, go satisfy it. Take care of it. Don't, don't let anyone tell you you can't. It's very similar. That makes these, these temptations very powerful. Very powerful because you start off when you, well, well it, let's just say when it comes, well, for food, you're born with it uh, from, you know, but with the sexual desire, it's once you reach a certain age, well, now everything begins to change. And now that desire comes alive. It, it, it's, it, because it turns into a fire. Now, it, the desire isn't wrong. It's a part of you, but now your sinful flesh will say, that's it. Go satisfy it. Go sat- look up. Op- you've got opportunity. Do so. And that's all happening inside of you. We've got to understand that part of sexual temptation. We've got to see that reality to that. We've got to see that and understand that. So that means the church has to realize, look, every person of a certain age within that church is going to, I mean, it's natural. It's there. It it, it can't just be, ignored or overlooked, it's there. And as a result, well, things, well, as a result, we see, I mean, just look at 2000 years of church history. I mean, you, you don't need, <laughs> you don't need me to tell you, all right? I, I mean, you can just go to the Roy's report and almost every day there's another report that she posts about sexual sin in the church, sexual sin in the church, sexual sin in the church. Sometimes it's horrific, illegal sexual sin, like things that are illegal and people need to go to jail. Other times it's moral failings. And that's just what she posts. And you can look and look and look around and you see the failures that occur. Now, I'm not justifying any failure. I'm not trying to explain away any failure. I'm not saying every failure should just be overlooked. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this gives us a sense of how powerful this form of temptation is. Maybe you've never struggled with it. Maybe you've never had a problem. Maybe you've never had any failure, any way, shape, or form with it. The the church's secret or secret weapon has tended to be, it goes something like this. And some people really, it, it makes them very bitter about the church. But the church's tendency to be is like, okay, you got the desire. It's there. It's strong. Get married as quick as you can so you don't fall into sin. Get married absolutely as fast as you can because if you don't, you're going to basically it's like you're doomed. You're going to you're you're doomed. You better get married soon. And so a lot of people get married soon and maybe they're not quite ready to get married. And then maybe then they end up having all kinds of problems in their marriage. You know, I, so that that just creates a different problem. It's like well, wait a minute, is, is there any other solution? Now, I, I, I do agree. The Bible puts that forth as a solution that, you know, that if you're basically, if it's better to get married than to, to burn with lust. It's, and I understand that, but there's still got to be a, 
a, a thinking through process there, right? You can't just be like, I've got to get married soon or I'm going to end up in sexual sin. Well, then if you get married and you're, and it's not thought through, then you're going to have all kinds of issues in marriage, which then in many cases ends up in divorce. And doesn't the Bible have something to say in regards to that subject? All right. So I just think we need to have some, some basic thoughts there. All right. There's, there's more I could say, but I wanted to at least just lay down some of those. It's not, the desire is not wrong. It's a natural part of you. However, that natural part of you exists inside you, which, well, you have a sinful flesh. You have a heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You, you just start adding, it's like, it's like you're in a, you're in a lab and you start putting those chemicals together. You better get out of the lab because it's going to blow up. It just seems like it's, 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 it's not a good situation. It's not a good situation. Now, some people are able to navigate this in their Christian life without much, much out, without many problems. Some people struggle. Some people struggle in silence and in private and nobody would ever know that there's an issue. They look like they've got it all put together. They, but they're, 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 they're in, in private. There's all kinds of issues and nobody would ever know. Now, I, in some ways you, you could, man, you can look at the situation and you almost wish, you know what? I wish that this was never a natural desire. I wish this was not a part of me. And I wish that it, that it didn't exist inside a body that has a sinful nature. Like that's, you almost wish that, but it, it, they're wishing it doesn't change uh, change the the reality of the situation. Some people can have have lots of self control in the area, but but let me make it very clear: there may be plenty of other sins that they do struggle with. So, what? How do we understand all of that in light of Genesis thirty nine? Well, I'm not going to make it very far today because I'm going to really focus on something that's going to be somewhat controversial, but that's okay. Here we go. Genesis 39. And I think I'm going to be offering a perspective here that may, I want everyone to think about. Now, I know, yeah, there's a lot I could say here. Let's just go to Genesis 39. All right. Now, we looked at Genesis 39, one through six, and we saw the, the standard of what God wants. God doesn't want us to be filled with bitter, bitterness, anger, wrath, envy. Doesn't want us to be filled with, with any of those things. That's his standard. And remember, we define temptation is any enticement for us to go against God's standard in, listen, in thought, in word, in action, or in attitude. So we have God's standard, right? We have God's standard and temptation is any enticement to say, okay, come on, no, no, step away from the standard in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, and in your attitudes. I'm going to continue to repeat that definition over and over and over and over. Any enticement to make you move away from that standard in thought, word, action, or attitude. Okay, everybody got that? Now, Now, what we see in Genesis 39, the first part, is we find Joseph basically ending up as a slave. 
And so the standard would be, okay, Joseph, you can't be filled with bitterness. You can't be filled with wrath. You can't be filled with anger. You can't be filled with vengeance. And everything seems to indicate that Joseph does not, and he, he, he does great in this temptation, right? And I try to argue that for us, we can, we are, we are every engagement with a person, any, any engagement we have with a person, there's a temptation there and how we respond. Do we respond to that person in a godly way or an ungodly way? Or I should say in any negative interaction we have with a person. It can be with a spouse, anybody. We talked about how he's facing very negative circumstances. He's a slave. He doesn't respond with bitterness and anger. He doesn't even respond with attempt to try to get out of the situation. He acknowledges God being in and over it and he accepts it and he serves God in the midst of it. I just think all of that is important. I'm not gonna go back and review everything, but that brings us down to verse seven, which is where everyone wants to run to when they talk about this chapter. This is the chapter, this is, this is it. Here we go, Genesis 39, seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now, I have read Genesis 39 verses 1 through 12 over and over and over and over and over and over and over this week. And the more I think about it, the more I think about it, I think something very important jumps out. At least it jumps out at me in verse 7. Now, remember, Bible study exercise. I just want to talk us through this, right? I know you're like, just give me my three points. No, no, no. I just want to talk us through this, right? I wrote this down. Maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you don't, maybe you may completely disagree with me here, but I think this has to be emphasized. When I read Genesis 39, 7, what jumps off the page at me and slaps me in the face like 15 times is that it's a woman who is the one with lust and the one who instigates the temptation. She's the one who initiates the temptation. It is a woman who is the one with lust and the one initiating it? It is a woman. In fact, if you read this verse in other translations, and you'll see why I'm emphasizing this in a minute, okay? Now, you're, I know what you're going to be saying. Well, you're a man, and I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to excuse all the garbage men tend to do. I, no, I think that we need to correct a, a whole way of thinking there. But let, let's go through this. Genesis 39, 7. Here we go. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And in that translation, they put an exclamation point. Come to bed with me, like right now. And you could argue, is, is is she using maybe her position to say, hey, come to bed. I mean, you know who I am. You know who my husband is. You better come to bed with me, right? Is, is it, do we read it that way? Remember, whenever you read these historical narratives, it's very easy for us to, like, there's some things we don't know. Like how, did she say it in a seductive way? Hey, we have an opportunity. Or she's like, hey, come to bed with me now. You're the slave. You know who my husband is. This is what you're going to do. Like, is she saying it in a very demanding way? Like, you could read the text probably a hundred different ways. We don't know for sure. I love the way the next translation has it. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully 
come and sleep with me, she demanded. So that one has clear, clearly she has lust, but she's demanding almost like my position, like she's the one with the position of power, utilizing her power to try to get him to do something that maybe he doesn't want to do. Now, because a lot of times this is only understood in, and only men can do that. Only men can do that, not women. But women are more than capable of the exact same thing. I don't know why sometimes it's like, sometimes you'll hear it be said, well, you know how men are. Men always, you know, if someone's going to cheat, it's going to be a man. If it's, it's always like it's, it's about the man. But let's just, uh, let's just get this out of the way. We just have to establish this, all right? Because this text puts the emphasis on the woman here at the beginning, all right? Joseph is not the instigator. Joseph is not accused of looking at her with lust. She's the one with lust. She's the one instigating it. So let me just make this very clear, all right? Because so many times I hear, you know how men are, you know how men are. Let me make it very clear. Every man who's ever fallen into sexual sin, I know this is going to come as a shock. It's almost like I need to, to play the audio for a Fox News, uh, you know, Fox News break, you know, Fox News alert, breaking news. But those men who engage in sexual sin, they always engage in sexual sin with, oh yeah, a woman. A woman is always involved as well. It's almost like, they, like you know how men are, like men are out there engaging in sexual sin with just themselves. No, they're engaged with, a woman is involved somewhere, shape, or form. Now, let's make it very clear. I'm not referring to women who've been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. I'm not talking about sexual human trafficking. I'm not talking about illegal crimes where the woman is being abused and, 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 and taken advantage of. I'm not talking about that, all right? I'm talking about in normal situations where two consenting adults engage in sexual sin now, in some cases, the men may lie and the woman doesn't know that the man is married. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking in about the thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of cases where the woman is very aware that the husband, that the, the man is married, that he has a family, yet she engages in the activity. So whenever we talk about sexual sin, let's not always put the emphasis on it's just the man. You know, a lot of times when people are, well, yeah, of course David fell into sin because that's what men do. No, no, listen, he engaged in it with a woman. Now, in that particular case, that woman may not even had a choice that we can get into a whole discussion about what happened with David and, and that particular sexual sin. That could, that, could, that could even take on a whole new dynamic. But I just want to make sure you realize that it requires two, unless a crime is taking place, two consenting adults. Unless a crime is taking place. I'm not talking about a crime right now. We, we can't ignore that fact, right? It's like, well, he did it. Okay, well, with whom? <laughs> Where's the woman? What, 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 does she bear any responsibility at all? Any? None? No, no responsibility. What was she was, she was a, now I'm not talking about a man who, takes a, a, an underage girl and grooms her. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of the, I'm talking about two consenting adults. Why is it that sometimes it's only, some people will only put the focus on the woman. Some people will only put the focus on the man. It requires two. It requires two people. So don't, stop with that way of thinking. 
you know how men are. Yeah, and the men, and, and isn't it interesting? You know how men are, and there's always a woman who's willing to be a part of how, you know how men are. Why is that? Why, why is that? Let me make it very clear. Men cannot engage in sexual sin if a woman isn't willing to participate unless the woman is being forced and some kind of crime is taking place. But in consensual sexual sin, the woman is involved as well. And sometimes the only people who get the headlines is the man. Now, or some some may just put the focus on the woman. Just let's just do this. It takes two. In this particular case, though, I just find it interesting that it's the woman who's like, hey, 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 she's the one who has lust. She's the one instigating it. She's the one trying to get him to fall. She's the one doing it. So, so we, we need to realize sexual sin is not just a, an issue for men. I think, um, I th- there's so much that happens here. I think in some cases, there, okay, let me, let me just try to go through this or let me, let me just try to throw out a couple of thoughts here. I want you, I'm, again, I'm just, that's the way these Bible study exercises are, are, design. We're just discussing it. We're talking these things out, okay? I want to make sure you understand that, okay? Because some people are like, well, you should have just taught it. No, 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 no. I want, I, want to, I want to throw these things out there trying to get you thinking about it. I think what we, we have to correct this idea of focusing on just the man or just the woman. So here's some of the problems that happen within the church. And I'm trying to go with every thing that I've ever read and all, and all of the criticisms from how the church focuses on things. On some cases, the way it's designed or the way it's set up, it's almost like, okay, hey, guys, come here. All right, guys, we got to talk. All right, you see those women out there? They're dangerous. Those women out there can bring you down. And so you almost create a situation where all women are looked upon not as human beings created in the image of God. They're created, they're, they're viewed as sexual Danger. They're, they're viewed almost as a sexual object who could be dangerous for you. So you've got to be on the lookout for them. Well, that dehumanizes women. That that reduces them to a sexual object. That kind of thinking. Here's the, here's what we have to do. It's not that the woman is the the enemy. It's not that the woman is your the 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 problem is inside of you. I want to. I want to try to. Get, I. I know. Maybe, maybe this will make sense to some. Maybe it will not. But there's been a lot of discussion. For example, the horrible tragedy and crime that occurred in Atlanta, where a man who claimed some affiliation with Christianity and some with some church ended up taking a gun, going to massage parlors, and killing women. And it's almost like he viewed those massage parlors as a source of temptation and that the women were a source of temptation. Now, obviously, there was a lot of mental health issues. Obviously, there's something horribly wrong. Now, a lot of people use that to attack Christianity's teaching on sexuality, claiming that that the Christian teaching almost views women nothing more as other than a sexual object that men have to avoid and have to be scared of and have to be nervous of. Let's make sure we realize this is so important. The source of temptation. Now, a woman can instigate it. A woman can make herself available. A woman can can say, yeah, sure. I'm not, I'm not by, uh, 
both parties require to, to accept responsibility. So we have to see the issue of sexual temptation as involving both men and women, right? So we definitely need to see that, but this is so important. Well, we have to realize first and foremost, the source of the temptation begins inside of you. Instead of seeing the woman as the, the sexual danger, the danger arises inside of me and because it arises inside of me, then I have a tendency to view the woman in that light because of my own internal desires. In other words, it's not so many times the emphasis is on, well, the woman shouldn't do this and the woman shouldn't do this and the woman shouldn't dress this way. And the woman and the woman, the woman, the woman It's like the women have to walk around going, man, I've got to walk on eggshells because if I do one thing wrong, who no, no next thing you know, some guy's going to be lusting. Next thing you know, some guy's going to be involved in sexual sin. It's going to be all my fault. No, no, whoa, 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 slow down here, okay? This is very important. This, the, the temptation starts inside of the man. It's not the woman's fault. It starts inside of us. It's our fault. The woman may make herself available. The woman may come on to you. The woman may offer it for you. It, th- th- there, there may be a million issues there, but it's just remember, you can't view every woman as, uh-oh, a sexual danger, sexual danger, sexual danger, sexual danger, because that dehumanizes them. You got to realize the desire for sex is something inside of you. And yes, you're a heterosexual. Your desire is going to be for women. And you may see those women and you may view them. But the minute you start viewing them that way, you got to realize that's on you, not on them. It's on you, not on them. So just just think about this, right? So in Genesis 39, I just find it interesting that the text starts with this, a woman, the woman who's lusting, the woman who's instigating it. So I want to just, I want to establish this very important, just a very important principle. I think we have to realize sexual sin involves both men and women, all right? It involves both men and women, and it always requires two. Right? Because sometimes all of the focus on sexual sin is always on the men, 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 the men. Almost as if women never desire it and all they are 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 the sources of danger because of it. And it's like that. No, women struggle too. Clearly. I mean, Genesis 39, it's a woman who's been looking at this guy lustfully. Clear women can lust too. Women can I I know that that's like That's not the way we're supposed to look at it, but it's true. All right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. Someone says, I think it's, uh, I think it's very important to see that sexual desires and both male and female also, and, and, and they're inside. Yeah. They're inside both men, both men and women desire it. So there's, there's, we've got to just realize that. So, so on one hand, we've got to make sure we realize it's, it's both individuals are, are responsible. Both individuals are involved. Again, it's just some weird thing that takes place sometimes within the church. You know, it's just men. Well, no, women, if they fall, it's going to be with a woman and therefore the woman is involved. So the woman can't just get a pass and go, well, you know, she didn't know. <laughs> okay. Now, if a crime is taking place, I'm not talking about crimes. So we got to see this as a problem for both and it requires two people, right? And for men, Specifically, we've got to realize that we can't just view every woman as 
sexual danger. We have to see them as, as individuals created in the image of God and realize the issue arises from within us. So much emphasis on the church is typically on women don't do this. Women don't do that. Women don't do this. Women don't do that. Women don't do this. Women don't do that. Cause you know how men are. And it's like, okay, now come on now. Um, I'm not saying that women can't assist and help. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that men have to take responsibility for themselves and realize that the, the source of it is inside. The source is inside. That's where the problems start. That's where the problems begin. And if we don't view it from that perspective, everything goes horribly wrong. Like, I think so much when it comes to sexual temptation, I think the the issue, we always want to kind of, in a sense, put a Band-Aid on it and, and, and just say, well, just don't do this. Don't look at this. Women don't dress this way. Like we, we go through all of these, like we putting Band-Aids, but the issues are deep inside the individuals. They're, they're de- Look, I'll try to state it this way. Some people, and, and, we, and, and so let's go through this. So one, it requires both. And it's, a, it's an issue for both men and women. I just want to get that both concept, all right? Second, for men, they can't just see women as the sexual danger. They've got to see that the temptation arises from within. It arises from within, all right? And then I think number three, I think that I, and now I know this one doesn't derive directly from Genesis 39, but I, I, got, I just mentioned this one, all right? I know I've given lots of principles in this episode, but that's okay. Um, I think we have to realize that sexual desire is different from person to person. I mean, this this shouldn't be shocking, but it's the case. Let me explain. I don't understand people who would engage in the sin of gluttony. I don't understand it. Makes no sense to me, right? Because I hate food. I, I only, I see food as one of the most irritating things on, on, on the face of the planet. I need food because I get hungry right? I'm not saying I don't like it, but I'm saying it just irritates me. I don't like trying to figure out what I want to eat. I don't want to figure out where to eat. I don't want to figure out anything about food. I just want food to appear and then I can just eat it as quickly as humanly possible. And the second I feel that I'm full, like the second I get that full feeling, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm I'm done. I'm like, I want to be done eating in about five minutes. I want to eat as quick as I can so that I have enough food to sustain me to now go do what I want to do. And if it was up to me, I would never eat because it's a waste of time. I see food as an enemy to time. I see sleep as an enemy to time. I see food as an enemy to time. Other people love food. It brings them comfort. They love everything about it. And I'm like, no. See, eat or listen to music. I would rather listen to music, right? I'd rather, in fact, I mean, I've told the story before. I, I, when I was given money, to purchase my lunch for school, I didn't, I didn't use my money to purchase my lunch for school, for school lunches. I saved the money so that the end, so I went without food all day at school so that at the end of the week, I had money to buy music. Food, no. Music, yes. Now, not everyone feels the same way. It's a different desire. Some people's desire for sex 
will always be different than other people's desires for sex. It's what's interesting is that if you don't have the same desire, you view other people like, what's your problem? What's your issue? Well, just because you don't have the same desire, you've got to see that it's different in every person. Some people struggle, 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 struggle. Some people are like, I don't know what the issue is. I don't know what the issue is. You know? Okay, well, congratulations that you don't have, but what about the people who do? You may not understand it, but you can't be so judgmental against it because I bet you if we look in your life, we'll find things that you struggle with that I don't understand. I'll be like, what's your stinking problem? What is your issue? Get over it. Just don't do that. Right? I don't get, I don't understand why Christians struggle with meditate on God's word day and night. I don't understand why Christians struggle with study to show yourself approved. I don't understand why Christians struggle with reading the Bible, studying the Bible, listening to sermons, hunger and desire God's word. They desire God's word more than food, more than gold. And so I don't understand Christians who struggle with that. Some Christians just have, I don't like to read. And I'm like, I don't know what your problem is. I can't relate to that. So I think we have to see that it's different in every person. Now here in Genesis 39, We have a woman who's filled with lust and filled with lust so much that she goes to Joseph and basically demands, you come to bed with me right now, almost using her position of power over Joseph to get what she wants. You will do this. If you don't, you're in trouble. You will do You You better do this. You better do this. If you don't, you're going to be sorry. Okay, I, I definitely understand that, that kind of situation. You, you, hey, you already messed up once. You don't do it again. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pay the consequences. I, I know how that can work, and I've seen that work in that way. That, that's, now, typically, this would be viewed as the, the big bad man using his position of power to go after the helpless woman. Now, in some cases... It, it can happen. A man has power and uses it over a woman who has no power. And that is wrong and horrible. But I want to make it just real. It can happen either way. It can happen either way. Both, it, it's, a, it's a problem for both individuals. But it's something that arises from within. Now, oh, we're at 53 minutes. Let's go back to Genesis 39. And, I, and I'm doing this on per. I want everyone to understand this, okay? Please don't misunderstand what I'm doing. I'm literally just talking these issues out, throwing out all of these principles just to get you thinking about this maybe in a different way. I know I, I can bring you the standard. We're in Genesis 39. Okay, here's what happened. I can, I can give you the standard one, but, but I want us to have some meaningful conversations about all the issues related to sexual temptation. Right? So I'm just throwing out lots of principles and ideas. You may disagree with them. That's perfectly okay. Give me your perspective. Right? That, that, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Right? But look what happens. Genesis 39, 7. So she's looking at him with lust. She cast her eyes upon him. That's the way the King James puts it. She said, lie with me. And most of the English translation seems to state that that's, that's, that's almost an imperative. It's almost a demand. It's almost like a command almost implying that her position of power over Joseph, right? But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master 
wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Now, this to me is very interesting here. And I think it goes back to why I emphasize so much verses one through six, because everything seems to hinge here on how Joseph is viewing his master. I'm going to read this uh, in a, a different translation. All right. But, uh, and I'm going to, this is Genesis 39, eight, but he refused with me, but he refused with me in charge. He told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. New Living Translation, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trust me with everything in the entire household. Now, I just want you to just state this. His first, the first reason Joseph refuses, this is just fascinating to me from a textual standpoint, is because of how he understands his responsibility and how he review, he views his master. Joseph is able to refuse this temptation because he refused the previous temptation. See, the previous temptation could have been, look, I didn't ask to be a slave. You bought me. You're, who are you? Like he could have viewed the, this, the master as he's the bad guy. He, I'm bitter towards him. I hate him. I, I want vengeance over him. I want to escape him. I want to get away from him. And I want to get back to my dad. I want to get back to being a favored son, not a slave. But Joseph obviously doesn't appear to look at the situation from that perspective. Instead of responding with bitterness and anger and vengeance, he responds with, God, almost the idea, even though the text doesn't clearly, ex well, he, it does state when you get to the end, when you get to the end, he clearly understands that God, God has been involved in the entire situation. Everyone else has meant evil towards him, but God has used it for ultimate good to save other people. So he definitely seems to be aware that God, that God has put him here. So he doesn't look for like, how can I get out of this situation? He's like, how can I serve God in this situation? How can I glorify God in this situation? Because if he would have thought differently at all, he would have looked at the situation. Oh, the man who bought me as a slave? Yeah, yeah. Why should I care if my actions hurt him? Why should I care if I betray his trust? He purchased me. I'm property because of my garbage brothers who sold me. I, I don't owe anyone anything. So if I want to, if he would have had any of those feelings, then he would have been, he would have been finished right here. But he, his view is God put me here. How can I serve God in it? He doesn't, he doesn't allow his circumstances to impact what he knows he's supposed to do. The, how he handles his slavery is absolutely key to how he handles the temptation. His, how he responded to the temptation of his circumstances deals, is specifically connected to how he handles the temptation of this opportunity. Now, remember, Joseph is, we don't know exactly how long he's been, uh, been a slave. He was, what, 17? So maybe he's, what, 18 now, 19? 
He's he's right there at a time where obviously physical desire would be extremely strong, but he's like, nope, can't do this. My master trusts me. He gave, he put all these things into my power, but he did not put you. So I, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. If his attitude was wrong about the other things, then his actions would have been wrong right here. I think that's so, once again, demonstrating that, temp, that temptation, there's so many other aspects to it. It's not always simple, it's simple as black and white. Well, here you are, you're in this situation. Boom, you shouldn't have done that. Well, there's no question you shouldn't have done that, but there's a lot of reasons like, why did you feel that way? Why did you, like, there's a lot of, now I'm not saying that you you ignore the sin to come up with the excuses. I'm just showing you that that temptation, there's a lot of factors here. His handling of his circumstances puts him in a position to correctly handle this opportunity to sin. If his attitude was wrong about his circumstances, he would have been greatly tempted to engage in the opportunity that was placed before him, the opportunity to move away from God. God's standard is clear when it comes to sex. Again, no sex before marriage, sex in marriage only with your spouse. End of story. That, that's it. Okay, no sex with people of, 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 of same sex. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear, right? I mean, they're, they're, we all know the standard. So he's now being enticed to leave that standard. The, one of the reasons he's able to, to stand firm here is because he had sta- stood firm in his attitudes and his thoughts about his circumstances and about the people who had ne- he had been negatively in- engaged with. I, I, want, I cannot, everyone separates that. We can't separate that. So many times you're vulnerable to sexual temptation because of so many other actions and attitudes and thoughts that may not even directly relate to the sexual situation. There are other issues going on. Let's, let's, here, here, I'll just try to, I'll try to be as, as blunt as I can, all right? You're married. Something is not right in your marriage. Therefore, you've developed wrong, you're not responding to the negativity in your marriage with the right attitude and with the right thoughts, right? So therefore, you, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're angry, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're, whatever the, you're, whatever the issues are, there's lots of feelings going on here that now you're not handling in a biblical way because you're supposed to avoid anger and wrath and bitterness. You're supposed to avoid all of that, right? So you've been enticed to move away from God's standard in your attitudes because of something going on in your marriage. And then, lo and behold, opportunity arises for you to engage in some kind of sexual immorality. Well, now you're going to be vulnerable because you haven't been handling your attitude in the other area correctly. So in other words, you may engage in the sexual opportunity and it may have less to do with sex and more to do with your issues that you've had in your emotions and feelings about your circumstance or about your engagement with your spouse. We always reduce it to just a sex thing. Just a sex thing. Sometimes it's not just a sex thing. It can be a host of other issues. Now, that doesn't excuse it. All right? I, I don't want someone to go, well, see, I engaged in this activity because I... No, I want you to see that that every... That you're tempted in a million different ways. And one temptation 
can be connected to a different temptation, which can be a completely separate kind of sin. So in Joseph's situation, he's been tempted in regards to the negative interaction with people and the negative actions of people towards him, his brothers, and he was purchased as a slave, right? Those are some, you go from the favorite son to being thrown in a pit and then sold as a slave. And then you're now you're in Egypt. Okay, those are some very negative interactions with people. But he did not respond with bitterness and anger and wrath and depression. He's like, okay, I'm here. I see God in, in these negative interactions and I'm going to serve God. He did not respond to his negative circumstances. He's been removed from his home, removed from his father where he was the favorite, taken to Egypt, now serving in the house of, of his master. He doesn't respond to those circumstances in a negative way. He doesn't even look to get out of the circumstances. He's like, I see God in it and I'm going to serve God in the midst of this, no matter how negative. So he responded to those situations. He responded to the negative interactions with people and he responded to the negative circumstances biblically, godly. Therefore, when the enticement to sex, the opportunity for a sexual uh, relationship or a sexual interaction to occur, he was already prepared in a sense, he was in a better place to say no because the other things he had handled correctly. Sometimes we we are setting ourselves up for possibly a sexual sin because we're not dealing with other issues that have already developed, if that makes any sense. There we go. We're going to have to stop. Yeah, one hour and five minutes. Lots of principles, lots of ideas thrown out there. I could try to go back and repeat all of them, but it's already been an hour and five minutes. I'm just, I'm not going to say anything else. There you have it. You can let me know what you think about all of this. Um, It's just, again, to me, the most interesting thing about the text is, wait a minute, that's a woman doing all, that's a woman with lust and that's a woman using her power and her position in order to engage in a sexual relationship. It, it takes two. It takes two. two. Two people are involved. Men and women both struggle with it. But men need to stop seeing women just as a sexual uh, danger and see that the problem arises from within themselves. Right there we go. All right. You can email me. New, I just feel like there's so much we didn't say there. Even though I said a whole bunch, I feel like there's a lot we didn't say. But I just want you to think about all of those concepts and principles and, uh, well, let me know what you think. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening uh, to, well, I wasn't even planning on being here today, but here we are, and hopefully uh, it, I, I accomplished something today. All right, everyone have a great day. God bless.